welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus has said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my word. And then if you don't love me, you won't keep my word. And this is very, uh, very simple, but that doesn't make it easy. Have you ever noticed sometimes, we talked about this a little bit last week, how the simple things seem to be really hard because we just kind of barge right through them? Seems so simple. And sometimes it is simple, you know. You know, I'm just singing out to you, Lord. And, you know, the Lord didn't say to us, if you love me, you'll come and sing once a week. He said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. Well, Pastor Allen, don't mock me. I'm worshiping God. And my response is, yes, you are. And so am I when I'm worshiping the Lord. But it's so much more than just a Sunday morning thing. This is a part of worshiping Jesus, but only a part. Jesus was so radical. He was so radical because people would just literally fall at his feet when they figured out who he was and that he was Lord, and they would start worshiping him. And him being God, he wouldn't say, no, you need to stop that. Where all the other rabbis are freaking out. They can't worship you. Not realizing who he is and that he was really God. It is actually a command for us to worship him. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that's kind of our our core verse here at Valley Christian Church. And and we're going to be talking about some of that tonight. But after he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he said, I am the Lord your God. So we love and we worship the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you don't love me, you won't keep my commands. By all this, he goes on and says later, all this, you will, uh, the world will know that you are my disciples because you love each other. Jesus is so t- uh, sometimes so annoyingly simple, it drives me nuts. Doesn't it drive you nuts? It sometimes it's so simple. He's just saying, love each other, guys. The world will know you by how you love each other. And he says, this is how you will know who my followers are, by the way they love and agape me back. Because we don't have this this ability to love God the way we should on our own. And that really leads us to what we're talking about this morning is the Holy Spirit. And we talked a lot about last week of of how the Lord is is in you. And how He's around you. And we're going to be talking about how the Lord comes upon you this morning. The fact is that we do love Him back. And it reminds us that even though we have foibles, even though we, we make mistakes, we have failings, we do all, do all these things that sometimes seem so contrary to the Lord. And we totally blow it. And he has the audacity to say, you know what? I know you love me and I love you back. It's unbelievable that he does this. And it's a wonderful feeling in the middle of worship when our heart just is totally in tune with who he is. And that's why we want to, you know, here we want to allow people to worship the way they want to worship. And I don't mean willy-nilly down the aisles and all that, but I'm talking about if you want to stand there and worship, stand there and worship. If you want to raise your hand, raise your hand. If you want to sit down and just take it in, then sit down and take it in. We want you to worship the Lord in the most comfortable way possible for you, within reason. 
Because worshiping is, is keeping with one of his commands. So the Lord says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So we start to real, uh, read this and we, uh, we realize that these guys, they couldn't even keep the Lord's commands most of the time. These guys couldn't do it. Jesus, go get some followers that can do this a little better. I can help you with that. Pick me. Can you imagine, you, you know, you're, you're friends of the disciples and you're sitting there going, look at Peter. I can do better than Peter. And that's how we feel. We're like, get some new people. And after we start to, to read what his commands are, we, we kind of hush because we turn around, we look at each other and go, well, I, I keep these really well. Let's ignore these over here. And we start to understand his commands, that, that we can't keep 100% of his commands, but our goal is to try to, to live in a way that glorifies God, knowing that we're going to mess up, knowing that we can go to him and ask for that forgiveness. It's like we're sitting with the disciples at the mill and Jesus has just cleaned our feet. And it took him about an hour to do that. And we lean over to Thaddeus and say, Hey, Thad, he just said to keep all his commands. And everyone will know us by those commands. And if we don't, we don't love him. And Thad says, I know, I I heard that too. And we look at each other and go, How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? And Jesus basically tells them, guys, I'm not you know, expecting you to be able to do this. And they're like, okay, good, good, good. He's like, no, no, that's a rhetorical thing. But you just said, Jesus, that you're not expecting us to do it. I'm confused. And, and you know, okay, Lord, you know, who's on first? Who's on, the, you know, the old, uh, you know, the, the I, I would say, they always rag on me when I say this word, poem, poem. I don't know how they say it. Who's on first? I'm just so confused, Lord. And the Lord almost laughs a little here. Guys, I'm expecting you to intend to do this and want to do this. And that's why I'm sending my Holy Spirit to be around you and to be in you and to be upon you. And he tells them, the Holy Spirit has already been with you already. And that's last week's what we talked about in John 14. But he says, guys, I am leaving you the Holy Spirit. And he uses the words parakletos. Para means together with, and kletos means to speak. So they have been together and speaking with one another. And the Holy Spirit's been there helping him. And now he's going to go away. And I bet you they're thinking, man, I, I, I hope somebody took good notes because he's fixing to go away. And he's like, guys, this is good that I'm going away. And, you know, he doesn't tell them anything about, you know, what's, what's about to happen in their lives. He doesn't go on and, and tell them, hey, guys, you're going to disperse all over the known world. Some of you are going to go to Ephesus and some of you are going to go to Antioch. And you're just, you know, you're going to stay in Jerusalem for a little while, but you're going to be dispersed because Rome's going to be coming after you. And, and you're going to spread my love everywhere. And it'll be hard for some of you guys in the end. But you'll do well. He doesn't tell them that. What does he say is this? I'm going to be with you always. And like, they're like, yeah, good, because I like you, Lord. But then the Lord disappears on them. He tells them, I have to leave so I can be with you. Is this kind of confusing or what? I'm sure that they were totally confused. It's like the expression I get sometimes when I'm up here teaching. And you, get, you, know, you look out sometimes and there's a, a confused expression. You're going, oh, I'm not explaining this very well. That's exactly the expression that the disciples probably would have had. But he says, you don't understand, guys. 
I have to go so I can leave you the paracletos. I'm not going to be confined by the flesh anymore. And he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on them. And they're going to call him Lord. Men and women. This is a very interesting thing because before this, the blessings always went to the men. And here he's going, to, he, he's going to pour this out on everyone. And Christ's Spirit is going to be in all those who believe. So last week we talked about the advocate. The one who's speaking in our defense you know, to the adversary. And that advocate is actually going to be in you. And if you're taking notes, these, these are the three things that we covered last week. And, and we're, the third one we're really going to cover this week. But, but the first one was with you. You will know me. One day you're going to write down these sayings because I've given you the, the invisible paracletos. I, I've given you the Holy Spirit to be, to, to be with you. And then secondly, and now I'm going to be what? In you. Not only to be with you, along beside you, but I'm going to be in you. And then lastly, I'm going to be upon you. And he promises this to them before it even happens. So they start to understand and, and know, you know, uh, what has happened. Uh, so, so they'll know when it happens what has happened. Because it's going to be really different for them. You know, they, they've been watching around, uh, walking and watching and just moving around with Jesus. And watching him just really do his stuff. And this happens in, in our lives also. You know, you're really on one of two sides on this one. Either you've been with Jesus and watching him do all the work, and you're totally amazed at how he works. Have you ever been in that place where you're sitting there going, wow, man, God, you're awesome. Just sitting there watching how you do this and how you use other people to accomplish this and how these people are being loved. That is just totally awesome. Or you're past that stage, and you're the one that's actually being used. You're the one that's sitting there going, you're going, I can't believe God chose me to help this person. God chose me to do this. How did he choose me? And you're just enjoying being involved with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we track with the, you know, St. Peter, because we're totally like him, you know? Before this happens, what is, what is Peter's, uh, you know, walk with the Lord? He watched the Lord even before the Lord called him. Many of the disciples had seen the Lord. You know, as a rabbi, he was walking around teaching, and, and they would have observed this up in Galilee. And you know Simon Peter's type. Simon Peter's one of, those, one of those guys that gets things figured out pretty quickly. He thinks really quickly, and then sometimes it gets him in trouble because he speaks really quickly. But he's got things figured out. He's a fa- you know, fast thinker and processor. I bet you, and, and this isn't in the Scripture, but this is just kind of where my mind goes, which is sometimes crazy. But I bet you on the, on the day that Jesus called Simon, he was probably mending the, you know, mending the nets with James. And well, we, we know he was doing that. And he probably leans over to James and goes, hey, hey James, watch this. These idiots are going to push this rabbi out into the water. He's trying to teach him, and they're closing in on him. He's going to be out in the water in a second. And sure enough, the crowd just kind of pushes in on him. And he's being crowded right into the lake. And Jesus' feet start to go in the lake, and, and he's going, hey, we're going to have to do something here. Let's go help him. Hey, Rabbi guy, it's going to get deep out there. Do you want to get in my boat? I can take you out. So the people are thinking, man, he's leaving. No, he just goes out far enough so he can teach them without them just overcrowding him. 
And Jesus begins to teach the crowd from the boat. And Peter is the, you know, think he's the one who's helped out. But in actuality, what has happened? Jesus is fixing to change Peter's life. Who is in, you know, alone in the boat with Jesus. What view does Peter have? He has the stage view. He gets to see the expressions. He gets to see the people just realizing who Jesus is and responding to his teaching. Sometimes it's totally different up, you know, up front than it is setting out there. And Peter gets to look at how Jesus, how he is changing lives. The Jesus that he comes to, to understand who is God. And he's probably sitting there thinking, man, Rabbi, I, I could never do this. I could never do what you do. Really? Okay, well, Peter, just follow me. And he begins that trans, transformation into who the Lord wants Peter to be. And Peter goes on to spend three years really, you know, trying to correct Jesus. Every time Jesus messes up, what does Peter do? He's got to say something about it. And on the last night and the last day before crucifixion, they're walking along with all the disciples and they're arguing about who, what? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? They've come a long ways, haven't they? They get out to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus gives them one instruction. Stay awake, guys. Just stay awake. Stay awake and pray. That's all I need from you guys. They fall asleep. And he comes back three times and he goes, guys, you're sleeping. Wake up. And Peter's really, you know, kind of off balance after being woken up and, you know, hacks the guy's ear off. And we'll get to that teaching. And, you know, but the night before, he's going to be crucified. He follows Jesus through that night and denies Christ three times. And in the end, he feels like a miserable, hopeless little wretch. And he's sitting there going, I'm ashamed to be called a follower of Jesus. And in the end, after Jesus is resurrected, everything is good because Jesus has even forgiven Peter for denying him. He tells Peter, you will die for me. And he ends with that. His first words to Peter were, follow me. His last words to Peter is, you will die for me. And this is the beginning of, you know, our ministry of the Holy Spirit, Spirit being in us. And we'll jump to Acts here in a second, but, but you know, he, he, the following of what Jesus promises is this amazing thing. And Jesus has left them. Well, we know he's left them, but no, I mean, he really has left them. He's died on the cross, he's resurrected, he spent a little time with them, but then he ascends into heaven. He is completely gone. And he tells them, you guys just need to wait. He spent a little time walking with them, doing some, some crazy stuff, what we would look at and go, <laughs> he's walking through walls and, and all sorts of stuff, doing really neat stuff. Then goes up to the side of the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and, you know, they're all happy. They're thinking things are back to normal, and we got this cool, new, and improved Jesus kind of thing, walking through walls. I can't wait till I, you know, I'm able to do that. Because you know that's what they're thinking. Because that's what we'd be thinking, right? Wow, I can't wait till I can do that. But he tells them, guys, listen up. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and I'll be with you and in you and upon you. And they sort of understand, and then he's gone. I don't know if, you know, was it fast or was it slow? I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. You know, all the movies, you know, he's going up really slow, and the angels are all going, whoa, you know. We don't know how it happened. But in Acts 1.13, they're in an upper room with about 120 like-minded people. 
and they're getting along. Imagine that, 120 people actually getting along. It's hard enough to get 10 people in a room getting along. And he told them to wait. The Lord just says, just wait. But, but Lord, I'm ready. I've been practicing. Watch this. Get thee behind me, Satan. Or, or maybe, get thee behind me, Satan. And the Lord's just cracking up laughing. He goes, no, no, no. You, you just need to wait. Just go to the upper room, Peter. And what is amazing to me is this is one of the few chapters where God's people are actually getting along. They're not fighting with one another. It is so rare that that happens. They're either, you know, usually they're either fighting with each other or, or, you know, fighting with the leadership or the leadership is fighting or, you know, or the leadership's fighting with God or God's people are fighting with God. There's always fighting going on for some reason and that's the conflict that we have in us because we have this human nature that draws us away from the things that the Lord has for us. And this is why we relate to the Word so well because everything in the Word, so much of it, has to do with conflict. Well, I thought it was about peace. It is. We have to establish the conflict before he can offer us the true peace. There's conflict before we see the need for God's peace. So Jesus says to them in verse 27, and then I'm going to jump to Acts here pretty quick. Peace I leave you, and my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. We're like, man, I'm trying, but I am still troubled. He says to us, we'll stop trying. See, this is something that we receive. You will receive love and peace and joy. It's different than the world's love, peace, and joy. Have you noticed that? Hopefully you have. It's totally different. And it's something you have to receive. This is, you know, it's different than, the, than, than us basing everything on circumstances. Because that's what the world does. I'm not talking about, oh, everything's going great and we're fixing to go on vacation. I'm talking about something completely different. I'm talking about the peace that comes the night before. They're going to crucify. They're going to take Jesus. They're going to beat him. And they're going to crucify him. That's the peace I'm talking about. And it's going to be poured out on you guys, Jesus says, when I give the Spirit to you. And Jerusalem is going to be totally a hot place. You'll want to leave and you want to go back to, to Galilee. But I want you to wait for a while. But don't just stay. Stay and get along, he tells them. And don't just get get along, because I am going to pour out my Spirit on you. In fact, in Acts 1, 1 1-12, he says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is such a powerful time for them. They're totally getting along. Verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers. Wow, like we didn't see that coming. Peter's always got something to say, right? But what's amazing to me is Peter's personality is going to start changing. But some of it stays. Some of his personality starts getting washed away. Yet God allows him to keep certain parts of his personality. A group numbering about 120. In verse 16 it says, And said, Brothers, ironically, he's ignoring the women at this point. Why is this? Well, he's learned this in the synagogue. What happened in the synagogue? 
the women went upstairs. And I should have brought my pictures from, from the early synagogues that we had pictures of in the 4th century and stuff. Women went upstairs and the men stayed downstairs and the men taught the men. And the women just kind of listened in. He learned this in synagogue. That's why he's still doing it. Later on, he'll work some of this out. He'll work out about Gentiles and about women and even slaves. Because there's a whole... Well, I mean, we're not going to go there today. We'll just cover one controversial subject at once. So uh, we'll deal with that later. But scripture, he says, had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. And, and Peter starts to, to lead them. He starts to put together, you know, Moses and Joel and, and how those two, you know, those two uh, characters or people, you know, their stories and everything that happened, how those relate and, and David and Daniel. And all of a sudden he finds himself teaching. And it's more about Jesus than it is about Simon Peter. He's got the scrolls open and they're just kind of all over the room. And boom, all of a sudden, Peter starts to get it. Do you remember the last time or the first time that you ever got something when it came to the scriptures? You're sitting there reading along and you're reading like normal. All of a sudden, it was just like, click. In your head, you're just like, oh, I I figured out what this means. And you're, you're like running to somebody else. Hey, have you read this? This is what it means. And you're all excited. This is what's like, like it's happening for Peter. All of a sudden, he, he's remembering. This is why it's so important for you guys to have your own Bibles. You know, even though we put it up on screens, and, and certain people, you know, have different philosophies, and they're like, well, I don't put it up on screens because I want people to have their own Bibles so they can write little notes. You know, there, there's all sorts of philosophies on that. But you should have your own Bible. It's important for you to own one. If you don't have one, Come talk to me. I'll even buy one for you out of my own pocket. Which, you know, it's is because I'm such a great guy, right? Because that's, I really am. I'm just going to leave that alone. I know who that came from, too. I'll do it not for that reason. Because sometimes I'm not such a great guy. But it's because I totally believe that you need to have your own Bible to read and to study. It's so important. Now we're going to jump to to, uh, chapter 2 in Acts. And some of you are probably thinking, man, I wish you'd go through John this quick. You know, sometimes I only cover three verses. But uh, Acts 2.1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And something very interesting happened at this point. And it's, you know, it's never happened before. And people have been trying to duplicate this ever since. And it hasn't happened since. You know, some of the things in the Bible happen over and over again. And some things just happen one time. And we have to kind of sort through those things because we just can't duplicate these things. The things that happen over and over are so important. Like chapter 1 and 2 of Acts, you know, they say that they were in one accord. That It says that over and over again. That is so important. The NIV says they're all together, you know, but the Greek really means they were just getting along. This is so important. Now, some of the other stuff is really cool stuff. But we can't build our, you know, our whole churches, our whole denominations on something that only happens one time. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? We can't just take one little thing and build a whole church off of it. I'm saying this because what happened every single time the Holy Spirit fell on them wasn't like this. 
Some go, well, no, that, you know, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It only happened once. No, it actually happens again in chapter 4. Happens again in chapter 9. And the Apostle Paul talks about how it happened in his life over and over again where the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he wasn't even here yet. He wasn't even a Christian. He was out still trying to kill Christians. See, the Holy Spirit starts to pour himself out on people and he starts filling them. And he's with them and he's in them and he's upon them. And these times of praises... They're in one accord, and the Holy Spirit comes, and it's so powerful, and it's so overwhelming. And for some reason, we think, well, this happens because of our effort. Man, if we can just get people riled up enough in worship, jumping up and down, going up and down the aisles, what, if we can just get people where they're feeling the presence of the Lord, we think it has something to do with our effort. The Lord says, no, I just want you to be available. I'll do the rest. Do I believe that speaking in tongues happens? Well, did it happen in the Word of God? Did it happen in the Bible? The obvious answer is yes. Is God the same God yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. So, clearly, it can happen. But I've never seen it done biblically. I've been around it multiple times and never seen it done the correct way. For some reason, we take this and we think it's all about the tongues. When it's not, it's about the heart of man meeting the heart of God. There's some biblical principles that deal with this issue, and for some reason we totally ignore that. So, you know, so many ignore that. Why? Because it's been drilled into them that if they don't have the power to speak in tongues, then therefore they're not connecting with God. From their point of view, they're not even a Christian. And that is so wrong, because that is not what the Scriptures say. See, those that desire the, you know, this, this gift of the Lord oftentimes desire it because of power. And what do we want as humans? Power. It's a natural thing that's in us. We want that power. When the Bible is clear, speaking in tongues is a gift. And not everybody receives that gift. Just like not everybody has the gift of teaching, not everybody has the gift of intercessory prayer or hospitality or administration or prophecy. Paul makes it so clear. Paul says... And if you don't know much about Paul, apparently Paul had this gift over his whole life. He had this gift after he met Jesus. But he says, I would rather speak five words in the church to instruct those about the Word of God than 10,000 words that nobody can understand. See, we can't earn his love. For some reason we think that this issue is about earning God's love and earning God's gifting and all those things. You just can't earn His power. He wants us to what? Get along and love Him back. That's what 99%, you know, 0.9% is really what it is. And all we do is receive what He has for us. But expect something. Anytime the Holy Spirit moves, expect, you know, the following. Anytime the Holy Spirit moved on, on, on individuals or a group of people, there was this boldness that came upon them. From Genesis to Revelation, from Moses being in front of Pharaoh. See, because we think it's about tongues. No, it's about the Holy Spirit being active in our life. When Moses got in front of Pharaoh, there was this boldness that came over him. When Paul went in front of the, you know, Caesar, whatever Caesar was there, 
the ruler of Rome. There was this boldness that overtook him. That was the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Always boldness. And before the Holy Spirit falls, there's so many times we're like, man, we can't do this. There's no way. Logically, whatever the situation is, it will not work out. But afterward, you're like, man, we can do this. Just, you know, I know the facts, but we can do this. How do I know? I, don't, I just do. Watch this. And people just tend to, tend to watch the person instead of watching the Lord do his thing. See, we're so into people watching instead of watching what does the Lord want to do. The Holy Spirit uses you and leaves some of your personality there, which kind of surprises me because I look at my personality. You know, we get used to the, the way you know, we are, don't we? We like the way we are. See, the best part of our personalities can be used by the Lord. But the things that we tend to think of that we want to keep in our personality are the things that usually the Lord kind of strips away. It's an amazing thing when the Lord starts to change us and mold us into who He is. Our problem begins when we start to feel like, man, He's taken away a lot. Have you ever gone through that? Where it's like you want, don't want to give up this part of your personality and you're sitting there holding on to it and the Lord, you're like, no, you can't, you've taken so much already, you can't have this. And it's that struggle back and forth. And he starts to take that away and, and we look around and we go, but, but so-and-so still has that. If they can have it, then I can have it. And the Lord's like, well, they're not there yet. I'm dealing with you. Let's deal with you. When they get to this level of, of maturity, when they mature enough, to, then I'll deal with them on that subject. But that doesn't satisfy us most of the time. So we get this on, on this bandwagon. If, if, if I can't do that, then no one can. And then we start to fight. Jesus is saying, guys, you need to stop fighting. You need to start getting along. He's going to send some of these guys to Ephesus, to Antioch, and other places. They won't have time to be fighting with each other. And they have to come back and deal with stuff. If you read the book of Acts, you know, they had to come back and meet together. And, and the Lord had to do some, some changing of hearts on, on uh, you know, opening up even ministry. Uh, you know, we, we talk about men and women and, and, uh, and uh, slaves and all that. But, man, they had to change the hearts on Gentiles versus Jews. He's saying, I can't accomplish things unless you allow me to do that. To be with you and in you and upon you. So in Acts 2, it happens. And the reaction to what happens is, <laughs> this is not normal. These guys must be drunk. You guys are having way too much fun for it to be good. So therefore, it must be bad. Have you ever been told, told that? You guys are having way too much fun over there. And for some reason, anytime that happens, we think of it in a negative sense, in the worldly sense. Because if you're having fun... You must be sinning. See, the problem with religion is it takes the fun out of everything most of the time. To the point where if you're having fun, it must not be from God. See, I disagree with this. I can't tell you how much fun I've had with Christians. I mean, we're just like literally laughing out of our chairs sometimes. You know, around different things. And I could just go on and on and I'm not going to bore you with all those stories. But I will tell you one thing. I love to to go to... uh, My dad's been going to Canada fishing and I talk about it. And I love doing that. But you know one thing that's so different? Most of the men that go on that trip aren't Christians. It totally changes the trip. Totally, completely changes the trip. I have fun, but not as much. It's all about fishing and, and, and going to bed and getting up and fishing all day long. 
They don't relax. They don't enjoy each other's company. They don't do anything. It's about fishing. They go to fishing. We're going to spend this much, go to Canada fishing, we're going to fish. It's totally different. Well, back to Peter and Acts. They can't understand and they don't understand that this is from God. And what comes out of Peter is not so much about Peter anymore. He starts talking and teaching about what the Lord wants from them. So you would think that if you're in this mindset of learning about the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit not, to be, not, not only to be you know, around you, not only to be in you, but upon you, you would think that life would totally get better, right? Overwhelmingly, life would get better. Well, by chapter 4, some of the same guys that killed Jesus are having conversations with them. And they're meeting with them face to face. And they're saying to them, do you remember who we crucified over there on that cross? Do you remember that? Yeah, I helped do that. Do you remember that? Guys, you need to calm it down. You need to stop this right now. And they're already doing this. So what does Peter do? He starts teaching them. He starts preaching to them. And he tells them, you know what? You killed him, and you're going to answer to the Father for that. Let me go to the Old Testament and show you what you've done. And he starts to do that. And he just tells them the truth. And it says, that the, the scripture said that these people were astounded at his teachings. Because they were coming from a fisherman. A simple person. Basically a nobody who really is not educated. They're Galilean. Listen to that accent. Can you believe, out of that accent, they're teaching us. That's what they're thinking. And it says that they were threatened. And Peter, he can't believe that he's changed so much. And there was this boldness that overtook him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the point where you're sitting there going, I don't know where that came from. All I know is, man, you should should have seen what happened. All I know is all of a sudden I was saying things that I thought I would never be able to say to my friend or my neighbor or my family members. There was this boldness there. He gets back to the guys and he goes, I said this and then I said that and they reacted like this. If you want to read some of that, you know, this afternoon, read Acts. It's amazing things happen. And there was this boldness that's coming from the Holy Spirit. And they even asked the Lord for for more opportunities to share. The rest of their life, the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them boldness. And in Peter's first sermon, he says this. The same thing is available to you. To you as a believer, to anyone who calls upon his name, the same boldness, the same Holy Spirit coming down upon him is available to you. And if you're calling his name, the Holy Spirit will want to overwhelm you. And in a way, he'll be, you know, he will anchor you. So that you will have the peace of God, you'll have the joy of God, and you'll have the love of God. And these things in the end produce what? Fruit. Fruit. They will know us by our love. What does our love produce? Fruit. Well, what's fruit? It's an interesting question. We always talk about fruit, but we never ask the question, what is fruit? Maybe it's your mom or dad coming to church. Maybe it's a friend that you've been praying for for years, slowly, slowly starting to see the light. Maybe it's the way you're treating people. Maybe that's the fruit that's being changed. See, after Easter, we're going to be talking about the fruit of our lives, and the fruit is a direct result from what? What? 
from what we desire? No, what he desires. There's one way to get what we desire. In Psalms 37, you don't have to turn there, but we're going to end with this. It says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon fade away or die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your walk to the Lord or your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from evil or refrain from anger uh, anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. See, when our desires match the desires that he has, then what do we get? We get the desires of our heart. When we commit our ways to his ways, we get the desires of our heart because it becomes the same thing. It becomes the same thing. I think that's enough for today, but I, I do want to say one thing because I don't want you walking away. I, you know, when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and those things, I grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up where I don't know what's going on over there. There, that church down there, I don't know. So when I enter into subjects like this, I have a natural tendency to go, <laughs> no, no. In fact, the, the first time that uh, I ever heard it, my youth pastor, and boy, did he make a mistake. He brought in a guy for a youth rally, and the guy in the middle of a Southern Baptist, and I'm not talking about just Southern Baptist, I'm talking Southern Baptist Church. The guy was up on stage and spoke in, uh, spoke in tongues. I can't tell you how many board meetings and committee meetings they had after that. My youth pastor was in trouble. But I think it's, we're so scared about something we don't understand. Are you like that? Are you scared about something you don't understand? Does it happen? Yeah, it does. Does everybody do it? Absolutely not. And there's different ways to speak in tongues. And when we get to Acts, we'll talk all about that kind of stuff. So I don't want you to think that I've swung all the way over to the other side. I've never seen it done the correct way. But as Paul says, I would rather have five words that instruct than 10,000 times that we speak in tongues. It's not about the tongues. It's about us being willing to be used and allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us. I think the problem with so many churches is that they're so afraid of the Holy Spirit because of the whole tongue issue that they never allow the Holy Spirit to come upon them as individuals or as churches. They just run. They feel something different and they just run. And that's just so wrong. So wrong. We need to be open to what God wants for us. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not taking us in a new direction or anything. I, no, no, I'm just saying. We need to be open to the, what the Holy Spirit has for us in our Christian walk. I hope that makes sense. So let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you allow your Holy Spirit to well up in us. Allow it to, to get us to a point where we're comfortable with you, that we don't freak out on small things. That if we love you with all of our heart, that means we get our heart straight with your heart, Lord. 
If we love you with all of our mind, that means we learn your word. If we love you with all of our, our, our soul and how we worship you, if we love you with all of our strength and what we do with everything we've learned, when we love you, Lord, then we're not afraid of you. I pray that you teach us how to appropriately use your giftings in our lives. And it not be about our gifting. It be about our personality going away and your personality overtaking us. So that when people walk away, they feel a presence that they've never felt before. Because that's really the power of your spirit, Lord. It's people finding your love and your peace and your joy. Not hearing something weird. Lord, I pray that as we go out into this world, that people do feel that love and that peace and that joy. I pray that 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 comes out of our life, that it overflows from our lives. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May his grace come upon you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.